You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we were looking at people who are prevented from entering the expression the Mishra in the Mishnah is entering the and entering the Kehillah. Um, and the Halakha interprets this as marrying into the Kehillah. And the Mishnah is going to continue in the third Mishnah, the eighth chapter. Amoniyu umuavi asurim, a Moabite and an Ammonite are forbidden, and that means forbidden to enter the congregation. In the same way that we, well, we have a pasuk actually. It's a pasuk in Devarim. Ammonites and Moabites shouldn't enter the assembly of the Lord. Gamdor Asiri, even the tenth generation, forever and ever, because they met you, they didn't meet you with bread and water when you came out of Egypt. It's very interesting that the Ammonites and the Moabites in these Pesukim are contrasted with the Edomites and the Egyptians. The Torah goes on to say, law. Lot to Taev and Edomi ki achicha You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you, sh- you shouldn't hate an Edomite because he's your brother. And then Lot Titaev mitsri ki ger hayita varzo. You shouldn't abhor an Egyptian because you were a stranger in his land. So there's something about the the Edomite that's essentially the descendants of um, uh, the the descendants of Esav. Um, so there are cousins, the descendants of Esau. And even though, by the way, they attacked us, you know, Amalek comes from Edom. Even they attacked us coming out of Egypt, we shouldn't hate them. And similarly, the Egyptians, even though they enslaved us, we don't hate them. But there's something about Ammon and Moab. These are the descendants of Avraham, actually, the descendants of Avraham via Lot and Lot's daughters. There's something about them that doesn't come into the community until the 10th generation. And, of course, we're struck by the fact that Ruth is a Moabite. And the kingdom of the, the, the kingdom of the, the kingship in Israel, descended from King David, is actually descended from Ruth. So that royal house of Israel comes from Moab, even though the Torah says a Moabite cannot enter the community. And the Mishnah articulates the halacha very clearly. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of the Mishnah. Ammonites and the Moabites are forbidden forever. But the Mishnah goes on to say, But their women are permitted at once. There's no, the prohibition only applies to men, not to women. And I think this prohibition is probably included in the Midrashim on Ruth, because, of course, Ruth was permitted. And there's a, a, a saying in, Yivam, in, the, in the Talmud in Yivamot on page 77. Amar Rava, Rava said, Kach mukubula, and he's quoting now. Uh, anyway, he's quote, Rava is quoting, Kach mukublani mi beit dinor shel Shmuel haramati. This is the, the tradition that I received from the Bet Din of Shmuel, from Ramah. This is Shmuel the prophet. So we're in the time of the Shoftim. Of course, that means we're in the time of Sefer Ruth. Sefer Ruth is 
at the time, uh, at the time that the judges judged. So we're in the time of Shmuel now. And the ruling, according to Rava, Rava sitting in Babylon, right? So he's sitting in Babylon in the uh, third century of the current era. So he must be a thousand years after Shmuel. But he's saying, I've got this tradition from the Bet Din of Shmuel, Amoni velo Amonit, an Ammonite man, but not an Ammonite woman. And similarly, Moavi velo Moavit, a Moabite man, but not a Moabite woman. And of course, none of these distinctions apply today anyway, because after Sennacherib mixed up all the nations, nobody actually knows who anybody is. And that's a different tradition of the Talmud. But certainly in terms of this Mishnah, the halacha is we we amoni velo amonit moavi velo moavit a male but not a female ammonite and this is exactly the halacha in the mishnah aval asurin olam aval nekvertehem mutarot meyod their women are permitted at once they don't have to wait and as for the Egyptian and the Edomite who we have to we we can't hate mitzriv edomi einan asurin ela adshlo shadorot the Egyptian and the Edomite are only forbidden until the third generation. But but their men and their women are treated the same. And Rabbi Shimon is going to object. The halacha, I think, does not go according to Rabbi Shimon, but he is going to object. And we talked before that the Mishnah contains, the Mishnah retains, it preserves many, many traditions that are not preserved, are not, are not accepted by the halacha, but they're still preserved. Amar Rabbi Shimon, I can actually make a logical deduction. Look, if the women, if in a situation where the men, the men are permanently forbidden, and yet the women are, are permitted immediately, if the men are only forbidden until a third generation, isn't it a a logical inference. How much more so should the women be permitted immediately? He can work it out logically. And it's very interesting. We learn something about the process of halacha here because the, the sages will not accept his logical deduction. If you've actually taught us a halacha that you've learned, in other words, if you've received this from your teachers as a halacha, we'll accept it. If it's a halacha you've learned, we'll accept it. If it's only a logical argument, there might be an answer. There might be a refutation. We can't accept logic because logic is always going to have a possible refutation. Whereas if you've heard as, as a tradition from your teachers, we'll accept this as halacha. There's a very similar story told about Hillel. Hillel comes uh, up from Babylon, bright young man, comes to Jerusalem. He, he's questioned by the, um, the Bet Din, actually by the Bedein Batera, as to what you should do to bring your knife to the Bet Midash when Erev Pesach falls on Shabbat. And he says, you kind of, you shove the knife into the hair of your, your um, sheep, and then the sheep will carry the knife. And they, they argue about it for three days. 
And they say, look, we do not accept. He brings them all the logical arguments and they don't accept the logical arguments. And then finally, he said, this thus and thus I heard from Shemaya and Avtalion. And they accept it straight away and they make him head of the Bedin. So there's something about the received tradition which is more powerful than the logical inference. As it happens, he replied in that along those lines, Amarlahem, look. I'm actually telling you Allah. I think they don't accept him anyway, but he says, I'm telling you Allah. And then the Mishnah goes on to say, filling out the list of people who are never allowed to marry into the community. And the Natina both forbidden. Amamzer is um, the product of a forbidden union. And an Atin. The, the 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 word comes from Joshua and it actually refers to Gibeonites, but in the land of in the world of the Mishnah, it actually refers to any non-Jews. And this is, again, this is not halacha today. It refers to the Gibeonites were accepted by Joshua on conversion, but it was found that their conversion was not really truthful or a hundred percent, and so they were forbidden to marry into the community. Mamzerim and the Tinim are forbidden, and their prohibition is forbidden. Echad zacharim echad nekevot. It doesn't matter whether they're men or women. And this is why, of course, in modern times, if or certainly in recent, recent historical times, if someone were a Mamzer, they would just say to you, look, you know, maybe good to just to move to the next town. Now, what about people whose fertility was damaged? Because this whole discussion about people who can come in. So the community began with a discussion about marriage to someone who's for, who's who's who um, men with testes who were crushed or whose penis was cut or slashed in some way and they couldn't bear children. Now in the next Mishnah we're going to talk about women who couldn't bear children, but Rabbi Yoshua is going to begin that discussion by saying, "Amar Rabbi Yoshua, Shemati Shasaris Choles." I heard. So again, he's got the tradition. He's not working this out by logical deduction, although maybe we might be able to, but he's got a tradition. I heard that a eunuch performs chalitza and that we perform chalitza essentially for his wife. But he said, I've also heard, I've also heard that a eunuch doesn't perform chalitza, and we don't perform chalitza for his wife. And I just don't understand. I've heard two opposite traditions, and I don't understand what they're doing. So Rabbi Akiva is the student of Rabbi Yoshua, but he's the brilliant young man. So Rabbi Akiva is going to explain. Amar Rabbi Akiva. I'll explain for you. A man-made eunuch performs chalitza, and the chalitza is performed for his wife. There was a time when he was kasher. And Rabbi Akiva is, when, when Rabbi Akiva is talking about saris adam, he's saying a, a eunuch who was essentially castrated he was castrated by 
Well, I guess he was medically castrated. So there was a time when he was not a eunuch. And if there was a time when he was not a eunuch, he could perform chalitza, and chalitza can be performed for his wife. And then Rabbi Akiva is going to explain, saris chama. A saris chama means a saris by the sun, literally. But the rabbis are talking here about a, a eunuch who, who effectively, when the sun shone on him, was always a eunuch, i.e. the sun never shone on him when he was not a eunuch. And it's, it's translated actually by, by Safari as a, I've left the translation, as a, a eunuch by nature. Saris Hamai is someone who is always a eunuch. And Rabbi Akiva is going to say, Saris Hamai lo choletz velo cholsim Rabbi Akiva is going to say, if he's always been a eunuch, and he doesn't have to perform chalitza, and we don't perform chalitza for his wife because there was never a time when he was fit. Remember that the whole purpose of chalitza is to release from yibum. And the whole purpose of yibum is to raise up a, it's either to raise up a child for your deceased brother or your, your brother might do this for you to raise up a child for you. But if you never had a house in Israel because you were infertile, or you were not able to raise up a house for your deceased brother because you are infertile. The whole issue of Chalitza and Yibum, it just doesn't apply. So as far as Rabbi Akiva is saying, look, if you were always infertile, if you were always infertile, then the whole issue of Chalitza and Yibum doesn't apply to you at all. And Rabbi Eliezer is going to disagree. Rabbi Eliezer, contemporary of Rabbi Akiva, slightly yeah, maybe slightly older, but a contemporary of Rabbi Akiva. Uh, slight, he's half a Rabbi Eliezer is essentially half a generation before Rabbi Akiva. So he's an older contemporary of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, no. Ki eila saris chama choletz vechotzin lishto shiyesh lo rufua. Rabbi Eliezer is an optimist. He says, Saris Chama, that's a eunuch by nature. Someone who's always been, who's always been a eunuch. He performs chalitza, and a chalitza can be performed for his wife, because maybe he'll be cured. We have hope. We, we don't really understand the medicine. We don't understand the biology. Maybe there'll be a time when he'll be cured. But on the other hand, Saris Adam, lo cholets ve lo cholzim, ein lo but a man-made eunuch neither performs chalitza nor is chalitza performed for his wife because he just cannot be cured. Once a medical castration has been carried out, you can't do anything about that. Now, we're going to go back to the tradition. Heid Rabbi Hoshua ben Batera. So Rabbi Hoshua ben Batera is going to give evidence. He's going to testify that he's heard a tradition. Again, we're going to go on the tradition. We're not going to go on the, if you like, the deduction or the medical evidence. Rabbi Yoshua Batera testified. Al Ben Magoset. There was this guy called Ben Magoset. He was living in Jerusalem and he was a man made eunuch. He'd been castrated. It was incredibly common, by the way in Roman and Persian times, to castrate people. 
incredibly calm. So he lived in Jerusalem and he must have died because they performed Yibum for his wife. Lekayem, Divrei, Rabbi Akiva, to fulfill the opinion of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is the brilliant young man, the brilliant young Darshan, so we can't be surprised when he is the last opinion mentioned in the Mishnah, and there's evidence that the people of Jerusalem, uh, the people of Jerusalem respected his opinion. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.